following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Father, thank you for uh, that you are the God of this city and that you love St. Petersburg and that you want, uh, that, that we should pray that you would send laborers to the harvest. That as you showed up, Lord Jesus, into a dark world, uh, shining a light, um, Lord, you, uh, you made the difference. You changed the world. And now you have called us the light of the world to be the, 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 the world changers that, um, that are empowered by your spirit to go out and to love and to breathe compassion and mercy and care and to point to you, the very one that can, the only one that can heal us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you didn't, that you ran to us, that you embraced a cross that wasn't yours. You paid a debt that wasn't yours, but ours, that uh, you rescued us from our death and darkness, our separation, um, and you brought us near. You showed us what love looks like in laying down your life for us, demonstrating the Father's own love for us. And then uh, and then you empowered us to be your instruments of change and love and compassion and mercy and care. Oh, Lord, that you would finish what you've started through us. And as our nation goes through difficult and dark times and seasons, Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to shine bright, uh, to be a city on a hill, uh, to be a lamp on a stand so that others may see you, that you, the light of the world, would be illuminated by the way that we live and love and serve and give sacrificially as you did. So, Lord, I pray that you would open our minds now, Holy Spirit, that you as the author of this word would would instruct our hearts and minds and bring the conviction and the wisdom that we need in order to apply it to our life that we would not deceive ourselves by simply being hearers, but that we would be doers of your word. And um, and thank you for being such a perfect example to us, Lord Jesus. Help us to follow your example, to follow you, and to, to walk as you walked, uh, to live a life that is honoring and pleasing and worthy of the call. Uh, we thank you for your faithfulness. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, I pray they would be pleasing in your sight. We acknowledge that you are our rock and our redeemer, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, guys, let's um, let's really let, let's uh, let's get attentive to, to God's word this morning. Let's get our Bibles out. Uh, we're in Luke chapter thirteen. Uh, we're picking up in verse ten. We're going to journey through verse seventeen. This is such. Uh, an interesting moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. One of the things we find out about this particular moment, uh, as you know, Luke is a very unique gospel that's written to the Gentiles, but, but Luke in his own heart was writing it for one most excellent Theophilus. Like he was writing, he went through all the painstaking effort to, to, to get eyewitness accounts on all of these things, including time, significant time with Mary to hear all this rich content and then to continue the work, the Holy Spirit used him to write the book of Acts, which is basically the first century work uh, of the Holy Spirit. I, we say Acts of the Apostles. It's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit uh, to see all of these things through fruition through faithful instruments. And um, 
What's interesting about this text, as with many others like the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son, this is a text that's unique to the Gospel of Luke. And uh, and so we, we, we don't have other accounts of this particular moment, uh, but we have eyewitness testimony here of this, this moment that Jesus had in a synagogue. Um, one of the things we, we noticed that, uh, that Jesus made it his practice. It says, uh, the scripture says it was his custom to go into synagogue during the Sabbath. And often he is either reading or he is teaching. He's a recognized rabbi. And that's what, that's their, that's the privilege they would be given by a synagogue ruler. Um, if, if a rabbi would show up, then they would be given the opportunity to teach or to read. Um, and Jesus would always embrace those opportunities. And, but it's interesting that it was his custom. And so it should be ours as well, right? Our custom to, to come together. And the, and the content of that, those gatherings was always teaching, reading God's word and prayer. And that's, that's our weekly gathering, right? But, but that's not where it ends. Jesus lived in, in community, on mission, accomplishing the Father's purpose. And he did that with others, uh, knowing that that was the greater cause of his life. Uh, so um, we pick up this unique text uh, in verse 10 of chapter 13, and I'll read it for you, and then we'll dive into its implications, which is so vast and rich this morning. Now he, being Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. I think that's interesting. Guys, I pause. Um, we can't fix our stuff, right? We can't straighten ourselves. You know, um, let me, let me say this. Um, do you know we were born broken? Uh, we're, we're told in Ephesians 2, Colossians 2, that we, we, were, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That truly the effect of the fall is, is that the wages of sin is death. And that, that death was way more significant than, than just a physical death. It was separation from life himself. Do you know what we ultimately lost in the garden? We lost Jesus. Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We lost our life in the garden. We lost our relationship with life himself. We were, we were separated. That's what that word death literally means in the Hebrew. We were separated from life. And so we're, we're born, we're born broken. We're born separated from, like we exist, but we're not alive. And that's why we must be born again. And we can't, as it says here, we, you know, there are, are we disabled? I mean, we're born with, with significant limitations and weaknesses and disabilities, right? That's, that's the cause of the fall. That's the, that's the context of a broken creation. Can we please not blame God for that? God warned us, like, disobedience has its consequences. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus came to bring us back to the Father, 
to rescue us. The first thing that he, that, that the, the messianic prophecy declares about when the Messiah shows up, this is what he'll do. He'll set the captives. That's what we're looking at this morning. You know, we were imprisoned to sin and selfishness to Satan. Imprisoned, captives, slave to our sin. You know, like, and the only thing we knew was our brokenness. All we, only thing we knew is our pain in our context, right? And if we measure ourselves by that context, then, then it's like, I'm just in a little bit different pain or less brokenness or disability or weakness than you. But Jesus came to rescue us from all of that, to set us. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Don't go back to the yoke of slavery. Can I do another piece as a backdrop to this text, please? So when you look at the nation of Israel, it's such a picture of, of our journey of faith, right? Like we were, we were enslaved. We were delivered by miraculous means. There was a, there was a, uh, um, a, a false deity, Pharaoh, you know, that, that believed that he was God that was, you know, that was enslaving us and making our lives miserable. Right. And God heard our prayers and sent a deliverer. You know, there'll be a prophet greater than Moses, but Moses was this instrument and he, he comes right. And he, and he's a, he's a source of an instrument of deliverance. But, but then they, they move beyond uh, through the Passover, through the blood of the lamb painted over the doorposts of their life. The angel of death passes over. They are liberated. They are delivered. They, they, they go to the Red Sea. They pass through, which is a picture of baptism. Right on the other side of that, they see that the enemy has been defeated. Right? They watch it happen just like what happens for us when we are, when we enter into covenant with Christ, when we trust him as Lord and Savior and realize and experience the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. Through, through simple childlike faith that we simply just trust him. We acknowledge our sin and realize that I'm a, I'm a slave to sin and selfishness. I've, I've been a, I'm a captive. I'm a prisoner. And I didn't even know it because we all were. And then they end up on the other side of the Red Sea, just worshiping. I mean, just, can you imagine? <laughs> Most powerful army on the planet's coming down their throat. They're, they're, they're like, wasn't there enough graves in Egypt? Why did you bring us out here to die? But here's my point. Even after going through all of those miraculous moments and seeing God's deliverance and seeing God's power on display, they still had countless moments where they said, we want to go back. We want to go back. What? To slavery? After you've experienced deliverance? Because, you know, as was mentioned this morning already, like it's, you know, he's our lighthouse, right? Right. And he's going to bring us safe to shore, right? And, but, but we've, we've got to go through treacherous waters. There's, I mean, they, they went through the, they went through the desert and they went through lack and that, but they were, they were, they were, they ended up in the promised land just like God had promised. And because Caleb and Joshua believed God's promise in the face of every obstacle, they said, it doesn't matter how big they are or how mighty they are or how weak we are. It doesn't matter. God said, that we're going to a promised land and we will, we will live in houses that we did not build. And they were the only two that entered in because it's by faith that we experience the rescue of God. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, and so here, like, you know, 
she can't heal her own disability. And, and we find out, and it's because of Christ's declaration, but we find out that 18 years this woman has been, been, been disabled by an evil spirit. And, and it's caused her to be bent over, and Jesus comes and straightens her up. But he doesn't just straighten her up. He straightens up this religious leader, this synagogue ruler. He straightens him out too. And if we're willing, he'll straighten us out this morning. He'll, he'll help us to understand what's significant, what's important, what, what, what he accomplished at the cross, what he's done for us, and how we should respond to one another and how we shouldn't. But I just think it's, it just hit me for the, like after all this time, she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Guys, we can't fix ourselves. We need a fixer. We need a healer. We need a savior. And we need a good and glorious God that is willing to come and do the, the healing work that only he can do. And here's, our, here's the thing. We can't heal. But if we point to him, he will. He already has the intention to do it. Right? And he will use us to heal others in significant ways through love and compassion and mercy and kindness. But she couldn't heal herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid hands on her and immediately, immediately, she was made straight and she glorified God. She was made straight. But the ruler of the synagogue was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord, exactly, it's, it's almost laughable. Um, it's sad, really. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. So it wasn't just him. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years. Do you notice that Jesus knew that? He knew what she had been through. Do you know that he knows what you go through and what you've been through? He knows the significance. He knows the timeline. He said, for 18 years... Right? I love this. It says, and, and ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond? Doesn't that sound like a captive? A prisoner? On the Sabbath day, specifically. Do you know that seven times Jesus intentionally heals on the Sabbath? Seven that's the number of complete or perfection. Do you think he's trying to make a point? You know, like that's, that's interesting. He goes on, it goes on to say and, and describes the, the reaction to this in verse 17. And he said these things, uh, as he said these things, his adversaries or adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were being done by the Lord Jesus. So as I mentioned, this is unique to this particular passage. 
But don't you believe that God's people should be marked by kindness and compassion, love and mercy? Here Jesus found personal priorities rather than passion for people. Right? There was a there was an adherence to man-made rules and misunderstandings of what God intended the Sabbath to be. And that led to anger rather than glorifying the Lord. Mercy, don't miss this, mercy should motivate our motion. Right? You, you see that Jesus was often filled with compassion. He he left heaven to come to earth to 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 not just demonstrate God's mercy, but to impart it to us, to apply it to us so that we would know the, the love and mercy of God. But, but, but then is it meant to stop there? No, the Beatitudes tell us the blessed attitude is how I kind of understand those things. The blessed, this is the blessed attitude in life is blessed are the merciful for they will obtain mercy. Right? Isn't it interesting how it works? Like if you forgive, you'll be forgiven. If you judge, by the measure you judge, you'll be judged. Right? If you show mercy, you experience God's mercy. Like we, 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 it's like we're, we're setting our own standards. Like we're, we're experiencing our, you know, we reap what we sow. Like it's, it's interesting. Mercy should motivate our motion. Sabbath is meant to be a time for rest and healing in in the God of mercy. So just a brief moment here on Sabbath. Sabbath is really meant to be a day that's set apart to rest in him so that we find the rest in him. Right? It's We're meant to set aside our doings, our activities, our work, our effort. Right? That's why Jesus is called, called the Lord of the Sabbath. And that's why Jesus is our Sabbath rest because then we understand that when he comes, we, we find our ultimate rest in him. But, but the Sabbath continues to be a discipline. Jesus said, it's, this, you weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you. In other words, it's for your benefit. But we, 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 our, 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 our work list is too long. We, we can't give up a whole day, right? We got too much stuff to do. We find so much accolade and, and value in what we're doing. We're not human doings. We're human beings. And we're called to rest in his presence because apart from him, we can do nothing. And the challenge is always this, that one in seven, that you would set apart a day and spend time with him and his word and rest in him finding the refreshment that only he can provide. And that's where our healing happens. So the contrast here that Jesus is pointing to is Sabbath is all about your healing. In fact, we're told in in the law that, that, that there are things that you are still meant to do during that time, but the whole intention from God's perspective is set aside your activity, your work, your endeavors and tasks and spend that it's a daddy date day is what it is. It's a day we, 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 we dwell and we, we, we get in his presence because that's where life is. That's where hope and joy and peace, life and, and activity and tasks and responsibilities, do they have a draining effect? Right? He's the oasis. He's, you know, in his presence is the abundance of joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Jesus said, that if you abide in me and in my word, my joy will be in you and your joy complete. 
But man, our, our, our flesh wars against rest, being still and knowing that he is God and, and just resting in him. It's not just, it's not just rest. I can go sit at a baseball game and rest, but it's my mind in this day, this mode, saturated on him, having conversation. I have date night with my wife on Monday nights. But that's a set apart time that, that we spend together that is, that is meant to refresh our relationship, strengthen our, 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 our walk together, uh, to, to, to communicate. And that's what, that's what Sabbath is meant to be. And what had happened was through, okay, I'll give you an example. You remember when after a while, because obviously the fall wasn't on day eight. God rested and then the full, no. So there was this, there was, you know, the, the enemy wore them down and eventually he turned his focus on Eve and started, you know, they, they started dialogue, having a conversation and, and he was asked, you know, what did, what did God say, right? And it's interesting that, that, you know, what God said was this, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil for when you do, it doesn't say if, <laughs> God knows, for when you do, you will surely die. But when Eve was, was, was asked what, it's, what he said, the command that was given, she, she added to it. Do you remember this? You can't even touch it. Isn't that what we tend to do with laws? Like, like if we're in a legalistic mindset, we, we add to them, make them more restrictive, right? And we might even justify our intentions because we're just trying to protect you from breaking it, right? But then it squeezes all the life out of its intention, right? This, this was... The, the law wasn't meant to stop us from 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 doing all this activity just for 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 that sake, but for so that we could spend time with Him, set apart, so that we can be refreshed in our rhythms. And so, in in Micah six eight it says this: He has told you, the the prophet says, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require? that you but do, but require you, of you, but to do justice and to love kindness, the NIV says mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is what uh, a commentary shared this week uh, as it relates to this moment. The Jewish leaders had prevented God's law, perverted God's law so much that they were using it as an excuse to squelch compassion and godliness instead of as a tool to promote love of God and others. And we got to be careful that we don't do the same thing, right? We as God's ambassadors need to be careful not to misrepresent God's word or his heart. Let's remember to love God and love people and let that define our approach. So in verse 10, 11, it said this. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath because that's his custom. That's what he did. And please understand that Jesus was not forced into some earthly paradigm or protocol. He was not a pleaser of man. He was not doing anything outside of, of this aim to please the father, right? Like, so there was, there was no people pleasing going on with Jesus. The reason he was in synagogue is because he was modeling that for us because that's, that's what was ideal and necessary. 
Um, and he, so Jesus models this for us, and we should gather together once a week. And it goes on in verse 11 and says, And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Okay, so um, she, she had a disabling, we were told, an evil spirit for 18 years. How would that have impacted her life? How would that have, have diminished her, her encouragement, her strength? And, and, and here, we, this is what we know about her, right? But what don't we know about her? Like, how frequent was she in synagogue? Was this the first time that she was there? Was she there for, 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 for the synagogue experience? Or was she there because Jesus was there? Or, as many commentaries have said, you know, is she there as an instrument of the enemy? Being, being, being possessed by this or at least oppressed by this demonic spirit in order to do what often happened in the synagogue setting is to taunt Jesus. We don't know, but she's there. One of the things we do know is that she would have been at a distance. Men were close at just as in the temple and women were on the, on the, on the exterior. And, uh, and that has bearing on on this moment because of how Jesus relates to her. Like she, she was, she was obscure in this moment, right? To culture, to her, her own experience with God, maybe discouraged. This is a long time. And so it's important that we kind of feel her pain because oftentimes we do. Sickness is not always from sin or from Satan. We, we must understand that scriptures declare that we live in a context of sickness. We live in a fallen world that is sick. And that is a byproduct. And when we embrace that, right, when we, we live in this world, when, we, when we're friends with this, we're going to be sickened by it. We're going to experience God. You know, Jesus with his disciples walking along the road and he looks over at a man who's crippled and says, you know, who caused this? Is his father's sin or, or his sin? Why is he? And Jesus cautioned them and said, no, that, that God might be glorified through the brokenness as the healer. Right? And so we, we don't know, so we should not judge. And why I say that is, look at the book of Job. You know, his, his friends made an assumption that was in, invalid about his sin. Oh, you're obviously, you just need to repent. You've, you've sinned here, Job. All this, this terrible stuff that's happened to you is because of your sin. And God rebuked those three friends, commended the fourth friend for being a, a heart of compassion. Because we don't know. We don't understand. God is the only one that knows us. Like, isn't it, isn't it fantastic as we get down into this, this passage a little further, we see that Jesus knows her. She might not even be familiar with how long she's had this. It might feel like a lifetime to her. We don't know her age, but we know that it's been 18 years because God knows her. In this moment, she was coming to worship or to be with Jesus or to taunt, as, as was mentioned. So if we look at verse 12 and 13, and I'm going to warn you, this is my favorite part of the passage that the Lord illuminated, and I'm so touched. When Jesus saw her, He called her over and said to her, woman, you now keep in mind, that's the same term that he used for his mom at the cross. This is not a demeaning statement at all. 
this is an intimate statement um, because this is exactly what he, how he refers to his mom. Um, woman, you are freed from your disability. Would that have been good news, by the way? Um, and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Guys, what I want to tell you this morning is Jesus saw her. He's in a room, arguably more people than this, right? Women on the outskirts. And Jesus saw her. Can I tell you something? Jesus sees you too. He sees us. Like this is what Hagar declared when she had an encounter with God in a desert experience where she had to like separate herself from her son that she was convinced was going to die from the circumstances they were in. And God shows up to provide significantly for her need and give her promises about her son's lineage. And this is what Hagar concluded about who God is. Gave him a name. He said, she said, you are the God who sees me. He knows you. And here's the best news. And loves you with a dying love. Like he loves you so much despite his intimate knowledge of who you are. He understands your perspective. No one else does. Shouldn't we leave judgment to God alone? Right? Like, God, you know, God knows. And God has so much more patience and, and compassion than we do. We're not built for judgment. Right? Jesus saw her, and I want you to know this morning, he sees you. He sees what you're going through. And I know all of you are going through something, because that's what life is. You're either going in it, coming out of it, or being prepared to go in it. I mean, it's just, that's what life is. Jesus said, in this life you will have troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Like, it's, it's going to be, there's going to be battles, there's going to be hardships. We're living in a sin-sick context but we're kingdom kids. We're experiencing a, a filling of life and his kingdom is being realized in us. We get, we light up because the life is in us. The light of men is in us. The life of Jesus. Here's what else you see in this passage. He calls her over. Now this is like me going, Hey, Miss Joan, come. I know you. I know your pain. I know, I know your loss. I know your, I know your, dis, I know your weakness. Come. And he's inviting her out of the catacombs, so to speak. And I mean, it's like right in the middle of all of this, Jesus says, come. Right? I mean, this is what he, it says here. Jesus saw her and called her over. Guys, is, is, is Jesus calling you over? Is he calling you to himself? Because look, healing is found in him alone. Right? You know, what's amazing about this moment is, is that she experienced a supernatural healing that only Jesus can accomplish. And, and it, it changed her, her body, her life. But what God has done for us in Christ, because this only required Jesus speaking a word, right? Jesus just, and it says immediate, it had immediate effects, right? But, but you know what Jesus did for, for you? 
He bled for you. He died for you. To give you a a way more significant healing, which is eternal in nature, which is permanent and is, is so significant that it endures beyond death. She glorified God. How you doing? Right? You know, with good reason. Like she, I mean, I, I don't know. I would expect, can you imagine being a fly on a wall? Can you imagine how this moment would have unpacked for her? But Jesus saw her and he called her over. Please trust me. Jesus sees you. He knows you better than you know yourself. The number of hairs on your head. And please know this. He wouldn't leave heaven to come to earth if he wasn't calling you over. He was inviting. He, Jesus is inviting you into his. And look, you know where healing is? It's in his touch. It's in his presence. And we, we experience a perpetual healing as we abide and remain in his presence. Right? We, we walk in the light as he is in the light. We actually experience the benefit of fellowship with one another in rich ways when we do that mutually. But he saw her and he called her over. Listen, he wants to free you too from whatever disables you. And please know we're all weak, frail, and somewhere in these bodies we're, that we have limitations and disabilities and, and he's wanting to set us free. And he has set us free. He has. That is a, that is an immediate, that, that's been done, but he's wanting to convince us of the freedom that we're in and telling us never to go back to Egypt, never to go back to the yoke of slavery, the sin and selfishness that uh, enslaves us. He wants to free you too from what disables you. He wants to touch you and straighten you out as well so that you glorify God. You know, I was talking to Rob this morning uh, in our pre-service meeting and it's just like, can, can you imagine her response to this? Can you imagine how excited and how overwhelmed and how relieved and how, and then can you imagine how, how her, her now response to Jesus? Like, I mean, when, when we, haven't we experienced a more significant healing, a more eternal, a more profound, a more complete healing of our soul? We've been invited into his, his family, call him father. We have a bridegroom that's making his bride radiant, coming back for us. Like we have a promised, we're rescued and we have a promised rescuer. Right? And, and can you imagine how, how excited she was in this moment? And my, my thing is like, look, we sing songs, right? But like, these songs should be anthems of, of gratitude and thanksgiving. We, we should be so overwhelmed by the wonder, like glorifying God should be kind of the temperament of our life. You know, like we're told that, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, Romans 12:1, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Like worship is, is a living sacrifice. Worship is not something we do on Sunday morning at 1030. It's something, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's, it's what we do every moment of every day as we take in to a, to a further degree the wonder of what Christ has done for us. Here he and he... He sees her. He invites her in. 
He touches her. Have you been touched by the love of God? By the mercy and grace of God? Have you been touched? Because what she experienced hopefully moved her to the greater experience of we are healed by his stripes. This eternal, and, and it, should, it, it should be. Do, let me ask you a question. Do you know what you've been saved from? Can you imagine like how, how dark and destructive and hurtful and hateful life would be if it wasn't for Jesus? Because we all contribute to the decay until we're no longer contributors because we've been rescued. And now we, we start shining a light and being the salt of the earth and help preserving the moral righteousness of the world. But, you know, I, you know when you contemplate what Jesus has saved you from, that should, that should call us to just intense gratitude and worship. But like when you think about what he saved us to, it should be even more significant, right? Like, like that's the Christian life. Is a li- okay, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had someone do something for you that was, that was, you know, such washing feet, such, such lavish love, such generosity um, that you were just overwhelmed and, and, you, and you, you, you wanted to use words. They just didn't seem like enough. You, you were willing to do whatever just to express like, thank you. Like it just never, you ever been there? I hope so. That's the, that's the disposition we should have on, on a regular basis. I'm not trying to create some, some expectation. I'm just saying this, this is the reality of, of, of what we've been given. It's the only response that makes sense. Like if this woman goes, Hey, thanks, Jesus. Way to go, JC. You know, like, I mean, like, like she was coming to know the, the potential, the power, the person that was in front of her. In this moment, through, through, through just his compassion, his care, his, and he invited, she, he invited her in and touched her. She will never be the same. And do we glorify God like for what he's done for us in Christ? You know, are we, are we just rejoicing in this glorious gift that God has given us in Jesus? What is your disable? What is what is what's disabling you? I, I just what might be the very thing that's holding you back? Is it sin? Is there a is there an unconfessed sin? Is there an unlived out um, piece of obedience that you know God is calling you to, and it just seems so beyond your ability to walk it out, or to it seems so so hard. Man, let me, can I ask you to just trust the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish that in your life? Is there an addiction in your life that is disabling you? Is there selfishness? And I think we could all say this is a disabling factor in our life. Satan is a disabling factor that doesn't sleep with an agenda to steal, kill, and destroy a roaring lion that wants to devour like but 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 he you got to understand like we can literally submit ourselves to God resist the devil and he will flee draw near to God and he'll draw near to you like because of Christ we have power to overcome the darkness we're told that you know another thing that will disable you is unforgiveness 
We're told that this will, this will hinder the grace that God wants to pour out in our lives. Is there someone you're having a hard time loving, serving, sincerely, you know, trusting God to, to be, that you'd be the instrument to love through? Or is there someone that you haven't forgiven? There's a root of bitterness there. Because that will definitely disable you. Pride is a disabling force. False religion, judging others, and in doing so, judging yourself. This is a disabling factor. Anxiety or worry, as we've talked about recently, it's a statement of doubt, right? Jesus wants to set you free. Do you know that this morning? Do you know, I I don't see this woman going, hey, Jesus, heal me. I don't see her making statements or declarations. I don't see her even exhibiting faith in him. She, She says nothing. Jesus knows her heart. Jesus embraces this opportunity to invite her into his presence and he touches her. And I know she's never going to be the same. And it's the truth for all of us. Jesus wants to set you free. In John 8, 34 to 36, it says this, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The key word there is practices, right? The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And here it is. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is what Jesus wants to do. He wants to set the captive free. Right, Galatians 5, 1 then beckons us to this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't turn back. Don't even, don't even think about it. Does the enemy ever beckon us to kind of, I'm just going to go back to this, this way, this sinful pattern. This sin- You ever get beckoned in that direction? Right? It, that, that's a no-brainer, man. Set your hands to the plow. Do not look left or right. Press on towards the goal to win the, bride, to win the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, so that you do not grow weary or lose heart. We're told all of these wonderful things. And so we, we're, we're in verse 14, and listen to what happened. There's a shift here. It's like, the world enters into this heavenly moment, right? So what would you expect everybody in the room would do at this moment? Rejoice, glorify God just like she is, right? That would be just a, a, a powerful, wonderful moment. And everybody would just, there would be, there would be radical and, and, and profound worship that would transpire in this moment. And the synagogue ruler is angry, indignant, in this moment, what, what, what did he blink? Did he miss? Did, like, what's going on? It says here that, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, he didn't, he didn't have the courage to say it to Jesus. He says it to the congregants. He says, there are six days in which, now it's almost like he's saying it to this woman, like, like does that even make sense? To say this, like this is what he says, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed. As if she could show up Sunday through Friday and that would be the occasion or the opportunity. Right? As if that's, you know, anybody else could, could get it done. Come on those days to be healed and not on the Sabbath day. That was his response to the miracle? 
Really? And guys, if we're captured by legalism and rules and we're missing the point that everything in the law and prophets is meant to love God and love people, and if it doesn't have that outcome and aim, if we can speak in tongues of men and of angels and have not love, man, our spiritual gifts aren't doing what they were designed to do. Right? Then, then maybe we're misunderstanding the law. Maybe we misunderstand the heart of God in that. And he was so wrapped up in, in that that he missed the miracle. And I'm going to tell you that he missed more than the miracle. He missed the miracle worker. He didn't see Jesus. So what happens, guys, when we get wrapped up in law and legalism is we miss what the law was pointing to, which was who? We miss, we miss, like the very one that, that the laws point to were standing in the room and now he's ticked off, right? Because he was given rules that did not represent the heart of what God intended for Sabbath. And we got to make sure we're not walking out man-made rules. Look what, look what Eve did. Like when she's asked, what's the rule here? Uh, what did God's rule here? She says, you can't even touch it. We always want to add to these rules to make them more strict. Look, man, if you're in the church, you can't dance, you can't drink, you can't, right? I mean, is that, is that what it says? No, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. But don't use your freedom for selfish purposes. Don't use your freedom to cause other people to stumble. Use your freedom to point to Jesus and to exhibit love and mercy and kindness to demonstrate his love. But walk in freedom. And if your freedom is going to be a stumbling block to someone else, then love says set it aside. Because love love wins and love reigns. You know, it's it's almost as if he was saying, like, compassion is illegal. I mean, th- th- that's almost what it seems like. Like, here's Jesus operating in the compassion of God, and he's saying, you know, you broke the rules. You know, like, and, it, and maybe we just misunderstand the rules because they're meant to lead us to him, right? If we, are, if we are wrapped up in legalism, we will miss seeing Jesus, which is the point of the law. Was he offering to heal Sunday through Friday? Is that what he was saying here? Sabbath is a day of healing. That's what we have to understand. Like the nature of Sabbath is, is to spend time in the healer's presence. Like that's how we experience the healing that Jesus wants to accomplish for us. Verses 15 to 16 go on to say this. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, plural. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his donkey or his ox and his donkey from the manger and lead it away to to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, speaking of her lineage, not her faith, whom Satan bound for 18 years. That's how, that's how we know she was bound for 18 years. Jesus knew her, knew her, her pain. Should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has, Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. Isn't that what the Sabbath day is all about? Healing. Loosed from the bond. You know, here's a question. Do you care more about animals than people? 
I mean, there are people that, that went ballistic. They want to shut down SeaWorld because there's an orca that's in a, in a tank, but, but let's, let's, you know, let's abort babies. No big deal. You know, I mean, like, it's, it's crazy. Like, the priority here, who, who, who was given the image of God? Right? Jesus said, aren't you more precious, speaking of birds and animals, more precious than these? Man, we should steward creation. We should lead the way of caring for animals. But there's a, there's a higher precedence here. Jesus died for humanity, for his image bearers. Do you care more about your stock than people? In this day and time, that was stock, right? That was their, that was their value, their income, their, 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 all of that. And, and here, you know, they, they were caring more about that than they were about people. And I believe there's a cross here, a cross reference here, that is money more precious to you than, than others that are in pain or in need? Because if it is, you will treasure where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. You'll never give up what you treasure in order to care for people. And shouldn't compassion lead the way? And so, some other thoughts. Her specific bondage was from Satan. We're told that. Right? And that's just, that's the truth. We, we, we have a, once, once we're in the fall, we're living in a king. He's the prince of the air. Right? But we get separated from that in Christ, liberated to a new kingdom and a new king. And so he plants that in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And now we live as citizens, ambassadors of a new kingdom planted on foreign soil, just like an ambassador is. But we live by a whole different set of kingdom standards and culture, right? And we're set free. We're liberated from that bond, loosed from that bond. Do we hide behind laws in order to to avoid loving people? That's what he did. Do we hide behind our restrictive plans and patterns and protocols in order to, to not love people or to give an excuse or rationale? Jesus did care what, uh, excuse me, did not care what others thought. He cared more about the heart of these hypocrites. Now keep in mind when he says this, he says you're acting and it's not in line with the will of God. And so what he's, what he's saying is he's doing this in order to extend mercy. Let me use the, the, a parent as an example. Isn't it loving for a parent to, to say to a child that's born me, mine, you know, like selfish? Like, isn't it, isn't it loving for a parent to correct that behavior? With, I mean, if they just ignore it and just say, oh, you just do what you want, like that's, that's not love, right? And so what Jesus is doing here is he's loving them by telling them the truth. But his heart intention is, you know, later in Acts, it says many priests became obedient to the faith. That's the fruit of, of Jesus's ministry to tell them the truth in love. But we got to be careful about our motive there. And remember that it's the truth that sets us free. It's God's truth, right? I wonder what brought her there that day. There's no answers here, but we know what, Jesus' heart and intention was. Do you need to be loosed from bondage? It's important that we ask these questions of our hearts and ourselves because Jesus is in a constant mode of liberation in our life. He's, he's wanting to set all of these, these things that chain us 
and hold us back from a, a vibrant, free relationship with him. You've got to remember in the garden, he said, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden. So a commentary here said, the good news is that Jesus is more powerful than any devil or any disease. He often brings physical healing in this life. And when he returns, he will put an end to all disease and disability. Isn't that good news? As the worship team comes, I, I want to read this last verse because this was the response of the people. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. Guys, I want to tell you, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. They, they didn't well up with rebellion. They were, they, were, they were cut to the heart, so to speak. They were, they were shamed of their attitude and their perspective and the way they were going about things. And so when the Holy Spirit, when, when God's word comes and we respond with conviction and change and repentance, that's, that's, the, that's the road to healing, right? So part of me wants to say that she wasn't the only one that was healed that day. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Do you know what these signs, the, the Bible clearly states this. Jesus points to the signs when John the Baptist asks, are you the one we should expect or should, or should we expect another? Uh, he points to these signs. These, are, these signs are authenticating signs of Jesus' Messiahship. It doesn't mean that, that, that every, every disease is going to be, you think every disease in Jesus' life and ministry was healed? Every person that was, did every single, no, right? Thorn, Paul was left with a thorn in the flesh, right? And, and, but God is doing miraculous things even in those things, but he wants us to set us, he wants to set us free from the things that hinder us in being in relationship with him who is the healer because he wants us near. He wants us close. He, please remember, he saw her, He called her close and he touched her. And it says immediately she was healed and she glorified God. Guys, as we sing this last song, here's my challenge to you this morning. Um, Don't let sin separate. Don't let anything hold you back or keep you in bondage or in chains. If if you've never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, if you've never acknowledged your sin and received the free gift of Christ's willing sacrifice to rescue you back to the Father and to make you whole again, to set the captives free, to give you a different king, a good king, not like Pharaoh, right? But to give you a good king that loves you, knows you, and wants you near. Like whatever it is, if there's addiction in your life, um, man, I encourage you, nothing, there's no amount of change or effort on your part that's going to alleviate that. Come to Jesus, put it in his hands, confess it, acknowledge it. He knows it anyway and still loves you desperately. Come to him and just, just surrender it to him and let him do the healing that only he can do. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.